And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Copa with Felipe Cardenas. I'm your host, and my guest today is Daniel Edwards. He is an Argentina-based football reporter and writer. Been wanting to get you on the show for a while now, Daniel. How are you? And and welcome. Hey there, Felipe. How are you doing? Pleasure to I'm, be on as well. Of course, of course. You know, you're the right guy at the right time because <laughs> I, I do want to talk plenty about Tiago Almada. I know the 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 fans here in Atlanta. Are, are intrigued by what the, his future may be beyond Atlanta, what his future may be at the international level as well. Uh, but but let's just f- start with the most recent. He makes his debut. He's, he, he gets into the squad for the September camp, uh, gets on the field against Honduras. It's his first senior cap, and he really did play well too. Like He looked pretty good in those flashes. He looked like he understood how to play with Lionel Messi. What were your takeaways for, from that match against Honduras uh, from Thiago Amada's perspective? I think it was great. It really did come out of nowhere. I mean, at least for me, I've been on uh, on holiday recently in, in the UK and Europe, so I haven't been paying as much attention as I usually do to the, you know, the comings and guys of the Argentina squad. Um, so they got him in um, as kind of a surprise call-up because he hasn't been particularly close before. Um, and you might have thought, you know, ah, Thiago Amalu, he's come in to spend some time with Messi, spend some time with his team, see how it works. Maybe he won't see that much action. Um, but if he does, it's going to be interesting to see what, what he can do. Uh, and he came in just after half time and, and he was really fantastic. I mean, he's a guy that obviously I saw a lot when he was still in Argentina with Vélez, uh, where he really looked, um, Impressive, of course, that's why uh, Atlanta turned their eyes on him. Um, haven't seen him, obviously, as much since he moved up to Major League Soccer. Um, but he just looks such a like a different player, like that talent, all the ability, the, the technique on the ball is still there, probably even better. But it looks like now he's learned as well to integrate a bit more with the team. He's always looking for that pass. And I think um, how he linked up, as you say, with with Messi on the pitch and with Julian Alvarez, these guys in, let's be honest, it was almost an exhibition Argentina right. team in that second half because they were already 2-0 up against uh, an Honduras team, which was pretty demoralised, didn't really know what to do after Argentina um, took them to pieces in the first half. And it it was, yeah, really exhibition stuff. They had something like four or five number 10s on the pitch, including Thiago, <laughs> and just played this Harlem Globetrotters kind of football, knocking around pulling out the nutmegs, the flicks, but also being effective. And yeah. I mean, as an introduction to international football, all Thiago could really want more was, was the goal, because other than that, it was absolutely perfect, his, uh, his cameo. So uh, it, it became a bit of a debate because obviously, you know, Lionel Scaloni, Argentina's manager, who who just was announced last night after their victory against Jamaica, he's been extended through to the 2026 mm-hmm. World Cup. Just a massive bit of news there. I know they've been working on that for a while, but, uh, you know, I think what what came out of this, the, the game against Honduras on Tiago Almada is, okay, can he, does he have a legitimate chance to make the final World Cup roster and be in Qatar? Uh, you know, just from reading and watching some of these 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 debate shows in Argentina, you know, obviously everyone understands his quality. But I did see some comments about like, what was the point of taking him at this point? Like, it, does does a twenty one year old that doesn't have any international experience really is he going to make a difference at a World Cup? You know, what do you think? Like, what is your gut telling you? Was it more of just like, hey, let's get him into the system, get him into the program, let him know what it's like at this level, or does Lionel Scaloni? perhaps think about taking a player of his skill set to Qatar? It's going to be tough for Amada because, um, as you say, he's young. He's only just made his debut two months before the World Cup. And he's also in a position where Argentina really are blessed for talent. Um, mm-hmm. 
that kind of creative attacking player. Obviously, Messi is the guy who's going to be starting all seven games in in Qatar. You know, injury or suspension forbidden. Um, and behind him, you've also got guys like um, Paulo Dybala, who didn't really see much. Um, who didn't see much action this September, but if he gets in good shape and he starts impressing with Reimer, you've got to think he's there too because he's been there. He's been around for quite a while now. Um, also, uh, when you're talking about attackers, you've got guys like uh, Lautaro Martinez, Julian Alvarez, who's just come on the scene, Ángel Correa, who's always been a very useful utility player for Argentina up front, Joaquín Correa, Nicolás González. It's a position where they're stacked, um, yeah. to put it short. Um, definitely, I think if Thiago did push his way in, it would be a wild card pick and, and something, you know, you could say uh, Argentina are tied in the last few minutes. They need just a hint of inspiration. And from what we saw against Honduras and what we've seen in his career so far, he's a guy who could do that. And, you know, I don't want to go crazy with the, the parallels, but it's got something along the lines of... Messi himself back in 2006, almost. Obviously, Messi uh, being at Barcelona, just breaking through, uh, probably had a little bit more of a name than um, than Thiago, but kind of unknown quantity uh, mm. could be useful. I think, all told, he's probably unlikely to make the final cut, but definitely, if he doesn't make it, looking through to 2024 and definitely 2026, these kind of scary, uh, presumably post-Messi days, Hmm. Uh, he's a guy who really should be there. What what makes him special? And and I guess go back to when he was uh, sort of you know he, he was deemed the La Joya, the jewel of the Velasar Field Academy. Gabriel Heinze uh, gives him his debut at seventeen. Uh, you know what what have you seen? What did you see from him at the time? And you mentioned already, like you did see a different player that came on against Honduras. You know, where where do you see the growth uh, with with Thiago Amato? What makes him special, and how has he developed so far in your eyes? Well, he's just got that classic Argentine number ten profile, hasn't he? He's short, stocky, keeps his head, um, his center of gravity very low. It's so hard to get the ball off him when when he gets going. Um, and these are players you always like to see because you know you you get them, they get them possession, and they can do almost anything. Uh, Almada Favela's really stood out with his his technique on the ball, as I've said, his dribbling. Um, anywhere in the final third, he was dangerous because he just cut a cut a path to goal, and and he's also got a, a brilliant strike on him. Um, he does. Five feet, he's uh, he's very useful. Um, but probably what we saw at Vélez, I mean, it's so hard for these kids who come in at 17, 18, even at a club like Vélez, who you know don't have the same kind of pressure and exposure that, say, maybe a Boca or or a River would do. Um, but still, you know, he he made such a brilliant introduction. Uh, he was expected to just sustain it, sustain it, you know, get the massive move at 19 to, I don't know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, the clubs that always come up when, mm-hmm. when these guys start playing five or six good games. And it's tough. Uh, I think he kept up a decent level, um, but perhaps he was trying to do too much when he was still a kid at Vélez um, uh, and that kind of, hurt him when it came to to being a part of a team, uh, especially since Vélez at that time probably weren't at their best. So yeah. he kind of felt as well he had to take it all on and it was probably counterproductive. Um, what I saw yesterday was a player who, as I said, has still got all of the skill in the world, can just do anything on the ball. But now his first instinct is to look for that teammate, for to look for that pass and see, right, maybe I can, you know, advance the play on my own. But if not, who's there to... Uh, to link up with me, you know, looking for a one-two or or just looking into the box. And that's something he did really well, as I said, against, you know, not great opposition, but uh, it's encouraging. Yeah. You obviously, you'll obviously know better than me if this was a flash in the pan or if this is something that he's been doing regularly for Atlanta too. But definitely from what I saw against Honduras, um, it's been, been really encouraging uh, how he's come on. I mean, he he's had... He had a bit of a slow start here in Atlanta. I, I do want to ask you if if that was the right move for him. But since you since you since you asked, I mean, he it, it took him a bit to get into the side. You know, I remember I was one of the reporters that was like, get, just put him in the game, like let him play. You know, Gonzalo Pineda, the, the the manager here in Atlanta United, wanted to give him some time, wanted to manage his minutes. 
and not put too much on them. And I guess an interesting parallel is that Atlanta United is no longer at their best either. You know, you mentioned Velez when he was there, they were a struggling side. Atlanta United is bottom of the table right now, really fighting to get back into the into the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, they have a, a, a slight chance to do so. And thank thanks to him, like he has come on of late. I think I believe he has six goals, eleven assists. You know, just three assists off of Miguel Almiron's club record of 14 so the impact has been there and it grew, it grew gradually throughout this season you mentioned it you know he perhaps took on too much at Velez here in Atlanta I I really do believe that he has been given too much of and, and I don't mean in a negative way but just you know he, he he's playing in a bit of a deeper role in midfield he's coming to get the ball he's breaking pressure he's progressing he, he's playing as a, as a number 10 at times he's moving out wide he's on both flanks I mean, he's doing a lot on a team that needs that sort of quality. When he came on against Argentina, like you mentioned, you know, he didn't come. He didn't come back to midfield at all. He didn't have to. You know, they had, like you mentioned, like you know, four number tens just controlling possession, controlling the ball, and he could just come and get his touch and, and stay focused on getting to goal. So, perhaps the challenge of 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 maintaining his his skill set on a on a weaker side like Atlanta is helping his development. It is an interesting wrinkle. Uh, you know, do you think you mentioned that the big size, you know, I've read Manchester United were had had eyes on Tiago Mata at one point. Uh, obviously, uh, Olympic Marseille like was really serious about about a signing. Atlanta United comes in and drops 60 million dollars. Velas can't say no. Do you believe that was the right move for him, though? It's an interesting one because um, this MLS pipeline, let's say from South America to Europe, is something that really began with Amiron. And we thought, you know, at that time he would be the first of many, right, to to go from Argentina or from other South American countries, really make a name for himself and then make the logical uh, onward move to the Premier League or, or one of the top five European leagues. Uh, and I think it hasn't quite happened yet, at least from what I've uh, been seeing. Almiron was, was, what, four or three years ago? He, he's left Atlanta now? Yeah, I mean, he left in 2019. 2019, three years. Yep, yep. Um, and there haven't been too many examples since of um, of people following him. Correct. Obviously, just sticking to Atlanta, you had um, Ezequiel Barco, who looked a very similar player in terms of potential and didn't quite happen for him. And now he's come back to Argentina, um, mm. uh, playing back in River. Uh, guys like Gonzalo Martinez, uh, Piti Martinez. Uh, I don't think there's any, there's any guarantees, but no. if he keeps shining in MLS, he's definitely going to be in the in the spotlight for a move because I saw recently a figure where um, uh, it's I think it was for the first time MLS uh, outgoings to Europe are now uh, either rivaling or even outstripping those that come from from Brazil and Argentina. It's a market which um, European teams are looking at and they're using a lot. So definitely, if he keeps up this form, if um, if what you said's you know, carries on and he keeps getting these goals and keeps getting these assists. Um, it's going to be hard for him because he's a guy, you know, uh, all of the virtues I mentioned, you know, the uh, short stature, light centre of gravity, they look brilliant, but we know it's not always the profile that works out best in Europe. Messi made it because he's Messi. Yeah. Um, and he was he's just the best player in the world. Uh, that's the kind of bar Thiago has to be aiming for, unfortunately, to... To kind of make it into in a big European team because otherwise, for guys of his size, his stature is tough. Is uh, let's not let's not kid ourselves. Um, but let's see him get the chance if he keeps doing well in Atlanta and the sides you know come in for him. I'd love to see him have the chance uh, at a team you know in England or Italy, Spain. Um, I think uh, I think he's got every chance of of making a go of it. It's a matter of time, in my opinion, just because. Uh the way he has come on in in this late stage of the season, right before World Cup, even if he doesn't go to Qatar, which I agree, I don't think he's going to make it. I think Scaloni is going to focus those those three additional positions that, that coaches are given. Now it's a it's a twenty six man roster, not a twenty three man roster. So I think he's going to really prioritize those in other parts of the field. Uh, but again, just the fact that Tiago Mata is beginning to show the quality that everyone knew he had. I think this isn't a surprise that he's this quality and this good of a player. 
I just think it was a matter of time before he put it together. And I now I do truly believe it's a matter of time before he makes a big, big move to Europe. Will it be, I was asked recently, will it be the the close to $30 million move that Almiron made to, to Newcastle United? You know, uh, perhaps he's already a $60 million player. They're going to get want to get plenty more than what they paid for here in Atlanta. Uh, you know, you mentioned England, you mentioned Italy and, and, and La Liga and Spain. Of, of those three, and considering his skill set and where perhaps he can really impact the game, do any of those leagues stand out as a better destination for him? I mean, the obvious answer would be Spain because you got the shared culture, the shared language. It's always a lot easier for, for South American players to, um, to get a get a foothold um, when they go to La Liga. Uh, so that would probably be the most logical um, destination at the moment. I think the league itself perhaps favours his uh, play a little bit. Maybe it's not quite as physical, quite as um, hectic as, uh, as at least the Premier League and and it kind of, and creative players have a bit more um, scope to, yep. to show off their talents. But I think it, any of the any of those leagues, plus of course France and Germany, um, any of the top five leagues uh, would be would be a good destination for him. And let's not forget as well, you know, the guy's only twenty one. He's recently yeah, he's turned so twenty one. He's just so got, young. You know, we talk about him like he's been around for for years. I mean, in a sense, he has, but he's got his entire career ahead of him. It's really exciting. So this is sort of a, a, a random anecdote, but I was I was at a sort of like a trendy taco place here in Atlanta once. And I ran into a friend, a former colleague of mine. He's from Argentina. I played, you know, local leagues here with him. And he was with a couple of his colleagues from Argentina here in Atlanta. And they'd just come back from an Atlanta United game. They saw Tiago Mata. And I asked them, you know, you know, what were your thoughts? And these two Argentines, probably in their mid-20s, they almost simultaneously said, you know, he, he's just, he's so good. You, you guys are going to see. He's so good. What is the how is he perceived in Argentina? Like both, you know, as as a player, as a, as a playmaker, and off the field too. What is his personality like, and what is it perceived in Argentina? I'd say it's a little bit of an unknown quantity, at least outside of Vélez, because as I mentioned earlier, the the local press here is so focused towards River and Boca, and so if a prospect comes up from either of those clubs, you know, we know their shoe size, we know their favourite breakfast, <laughs> we know who they're dating, who they used to date, who they're going to date. Um, <laughs> and it's really, you know, exhaustive. Um, and once you get outside that bubble and perhaps outside of a couple of other clubs, you know, uh, the likes of Racing or Independiente, San Lorenzo, the other, um, you know, self-denominated grandes, the coverage isn't quite as... Uh, as, as oppressive so a guy like Almada um, and other people you know who come through the clubs like Vélez or Banfield or Lanús they can fly under the radar a little more um, Almada has obviously had a lot of coverage just for what he does on the pitch um, you know being so impressive for Vélez uh, as a youngster and also being under a, a renowned coach like um, Gabriel Ainsi uh, definitely helped him get his name out there uh, a little bit more um, but I think, yeah, he, he wasn't a player probably who, who was on the on the tongue of everyone in in Argentina, and probably that's why his introduction on uh, on Friday was on Friday came as a bit of a surprise because you know that it was a youngster who did well in Vélez and went up to the states and kind of fell off a lot of people's radars, and and then you see him. Uh, in this game where you probably weren't expecting yep. to see him at all. And it was like, oh, fantastic. He's, he's been brilliant. Um, <laughs> so I hope for the for his sake he can stay out of the press and stay out of that media spotlight because it can get very suffocating. So if he's not dealing with all that now, brilliant, all power to his the the issues he had legally he had some legal issues he was part of a, a sexual abuse case that he was later not charged for he was essentially cleared i had a big conversation with that line united's front office about that and how they vetted that and every every legal uh avenue that they took in order to secure that signing at the time was did that hurt his image at all in argentina or, or to your point about not being a boca river player 
was it not as magnified as perhaps it was here in the States when he was on the verge of signing? No, it wasn't as magnified. And and sadly, Argentina does have this problem, um, mm. kind of even at the big clubs, um, the Boca, you know, for example, at the moment have been going through a, a very similar thing with Sebastián Villa, yep. which and I'm sure you're, you're, you're aware of. And Pavón yeah. before that, I think, um, who was the other one? Uh, Eduardo Salvio. Right. Uh, there's been a string of um, really unsavory incidents and kind of the decision Boca have made is that since uh, Villa was was all on the pitch, we were keeping there, which I found, you know, deplorable and it's been going on for, for almost six months now. Yep. Um, so it's something that Argentine football definitely has to work on. Um, I can't say, obviously, as uh, I'm familiar with all of the intricacies in the and the uh, details of the Amada case, but I did know that the these um, allegations did come up and the case was, was subsequently dropped. I assume that Atlanta uh, would have done their homework very thoroughly before um, before signing him because that's something, you know, obviously that going from Argentina to the States is, is a huge issue. Um, but speaking, yeah, in general terms, it, aside from kind of some some kind of very tepid messages on the subject. Um, it's something that really needs to, to be dealt with a lot more seriously, I think, and not kind of have it has a criteria, you know, oh, this guy's playing badly and, you know, and he's being accused of something, let's drop him. But oh, this guy's playing well, let's give him the benefit, benefit of the doubt. Uh, that's not how it works, is it? Yeah, it's been really interesting because, and just we're going to move on to Argentina now, but it, you mentioned it, you know, how he surprised a lot of people he's on the pitch he looks like a young player on this team that is just so together you know you know every single player on the Argentina national team what they do how they do it what they're good at and it was an interesting dynamic because here in MLS he Tagomata is like one of the stars of the league now he's one of the young stars uh, he was re- recently rated the number two under 22 player in the league uh, and but for Argentina, he was like just a youngster, just this young player who's like getting time in a friendly and, and is going to show a lot of promise. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, Speaking of promise, this Argentina national team, Daniel, I mean, it's, you know, I know they played in World Cup final in 2014. They're always a contender. But it it is an interesting turn of events for, for for, for a side that, 
were essentially losers in the country. You know, getting to two consecutive Copa America finals, losing them both in 2015 and 2016, not being able to, you know, really uh, earn that respect that is so wanted at the international level in Argentina. From there, they finally win the Copa America. And now it's like they're heroes. They're like cult heroes. They're superstars in the country. What has been, how have you viewed that transition for the Argentina national team from, from going to that tough place of not being able to lift titles? Now they've done so. And now it's like they're the Beatles all over again. Yeah, I'm really excited. Almost despite myself, it's, um, <laughs> it's been really fun to watch these, these past three years. This you know, young team just coming together and... Uh, and, you know the arm of um, of Lionel Messi, one of the few veterans who's who stuck around after those repeated failures, and then the absolute catastrophe, which was the 2018 World Cup. Um, and I think that you know that's um, that's a good place to start because uh, Russia really did signal kind of the end of an era for Argentina. These guys like um, Javier Mascherano, like uh, Gonzalo Higuain. Um, like Sergio Aguero, even Maxi though, Rodriguez was was still around at the time. Was it was Maxi Rodriguez part? Or, no, was, that was 2014. He'd, okay, um, okay. But there was a couple of others: uh, Enzo Perez, um, okay. Lucas Billias, um, some of these guys. You know, being around the the set for a, for a long time. And in the case of you know Iguain, Macherano, um, Aguero, although obviously Aguero played on for a little bit longer. Uh, guys who you know were absolute cornerstones of the team as they went so close. And yet came up short so many times. Um, so Russia happens. Uh, in the end, you know, they had a very flattering defeat against France, uh, which could have been, you know, a lot more, a lot heavier on the day, I think. Um, uh, they were quite lucky to, to finish within one goal of a very entertaining game in the end. Uh, Sampaoli was fired, which was almost a foregone conclusion. He He's a coach I've always rated, and I thought it was the right, deci- the right decision to, to hire him, but it didn't quite come together for him um, in, the, in the international setup. Uh, and then they turned to this guy, Lionel Scaloni, <laughs> um, complete unknown as a coach. Um, there's, a, there's a famous anecdote, anecdote now in, um, in Argentina that uh, he got his start with uh, Sevilla and uh, San Pauli because... Um, his, uh, his dad's a neighbor of his in Casilda, this town in, um, in Santa Fe province. Interesting. And his dad essentially took it upon himself to gate crash an asado, which uh, San Paulo was hosting <laughs> in, his, um, in his house, and, and asked him if he could, if he could give Lionel a job. Uh, San Paulo said, Yeah, all right. Uh, so he came wow. along with San Paulo to, you know, as part of his background, backroom team in, in Sevilla. I don't know if he even had the title. Went along to Argentina as well. Again, almost without a title, just one of those, you know, the guys, the dudes who were there in in the background, and ended up with the Argentina job almost by default. Um, had a decent run at under twenty level almost at the same time, but uh, it was really inauspicious. And at the start, you know, um, it looked like a definite step back because it was a team that didn't really know how to play. Yeah. They, weren't doing anything together. The 2009 Copa America, even even though they got to the semifinals, was really um, a bit of a shambles. And I thought, you know, I'll hold my hands up and say I thought that under Scaloni, the, there really wasn't any future. But he just came in and I said, no, um, you know, I'm not a tactical genius. Uh, I'm not going to win games with on the chalkboard or the, or the whiteboard like Guardiola does. But... What I'm going to do is just put together my team and I'm going to, you know, help them be to come together. And and that's what's happened. It's just a team with this brilliant spirit and brilliant togetherness. Um, you can see in every single... You can see it. Of, you can see it. They just love being together. It's like crazy. They're, <laughs> they're best friends. I keep making this um, this parallel. They're, they're just like high school kids going yeah. on their summer trip or spring break or or going on a lad's holiday Um and just having the time of their lives, and and it's reflected on the on the pitch because yeah. there's no sense that you know these even these kind of meaningless friendlies are a drag. They're they're just a chance to they're trying to play themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they celebrate a third goal against Jamaica last night <laughs> as if it was uh, the winning goal in the, in the World Cup final. Unbelievable. Um, and I think a lot of that, you know, 
has to go on Scaloni because he's picked the right players. He's given Messi the right role in this team, which is, you know, the father figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but also this guy who's approachable. He can get involved with the, with the fun and games. He's kept people like uh, Otamendi and Alejandro Papu Gomez mm-hmm. around who, you know, maybe aren't as good as they once were, but seem to bring that spark to the team and, and keep it all together. And they just do their thing. And um, I think probably you can point on the field, you can point to three or four players who have been crucial in this transformation, one in each position. In goal, of course, Emiliano Martinez. Just on the pitch and off it has just been so valuable to this. And and they haven't had a goalkeeper like that. I remember a a former player here in Atlanta in Argentine, you know, he, he referred to Debo. He's like that, that's the personality of the goalkeeper that we need in Argentina. And this was after the Copa America in 2021, where he had that tremendous game against Colombia. But it was like, that's, that is the attitude of the Argentine goalkeeper. So he's been massive. Yeah, he has been absolutely fantastic. And I think everyone's praying that, he, he stays fit and at least behaves himself a little bit for, for <laughs> Qatar because he's going to be so important. The next guy I'd say is uh, Cristian Romero in defence. Yes. He's just be. really dragged it together and, sure. and made it a functioning unit almost for the first time. So I've been watching Argentina in midfield. Um, Rodrigo de Paul is just the link, the guy who takes the onus of Messi to be creating and, and scoring. And just runs at midfield. Three uh, lungs. I think well. he has three lungs. It's ridiculous. His stamina it's is crazy. Yeah. That's incredible. And then uh, Lautaro Martinez, who, unlike all of the strikers who have come before him, you know, even great guys like Aguero, like Higuain, he doesn't seem to feel the weight of the Argentina shirt. Yeah. Um, he just goes in and does his thing and and takes his chances. Um, and I think only only Messi scored more than him in the in the Scaloni era. And that's because he scored something like nine goals in the last three games. Um, otherwise it would have been Lautaro up top. Um, just, and just as a partner for Messi, even you saw it all the way back in the 2019 Copa America. I don't think any of the, the strike partners Messi has had have played as well with him as Lautaro. And that's obviously wow. huge. Right? That is, that's a big statement. I mean, because Gonzalo Higuain, you know, with all the troubles he had in the big moments, had a, had great chemistry with Messi, you think Lautaro can be can go beyond that? I think he can go beyond it because he's a slightly different uh, type of striker to Higuain. Higuain was, of course, this classic number nine, you know, straight to goal um, and get it done. Lautaro can almost play as number ten. Um, yeah. In fact, I was uh, I was in Italy very recently in Milan, and I went to San Siro to watch um, Inter play Torino, and obviously. I was watching Laudaro very closely and, uh, you know, this is a guy who I haven't seen in the flesh since uh, since he left Racing back in 2017, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and I was just really impressed. He didn't score. He had a couple of chances, but his movement around the box, the way he just plays everyone in and kind of runs the show for an inter-team, which is, which is really struggling. Yeah. Um, it shows, again, how much he's grown as a player and... He's doing that for Argentina and he's also in the box scoring goals and making goals. He laid on a very nice one for, for Julian Alvarez last night against Jamaica. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I would go out on a limb and say probably, you know, as a strike partner and definitely as a team, this is this is probably the, the best Messi has had in terms of just clicking and letting him just do his thing, which we know how good it is. You you mentioned Messi as a father figure, which is just crazy to think about. But it is the reality. Old, right? it, it is the reality. It does make me feel really old, yes. Yeah. Uh, but it's the truth. It is the absolute truth. He is, in fact, it takes me back to what he said about Tiago Almada after the Honduras game. He mentioned, and I'll say it in Spanish first, you know, Tiago Almada tiene mucha frescura. It was just an awesome quote. Like, it's so hard to translate, too. I don't know. You know, I, I think what he means is that within this team of that's so together, so collective, you know, they're on the same mission. This kid comes in, this 21 year old kid comes in and sort of just freshens the group, brings his own sort of energy. Um, Perhaps that's something that you hear off in Argentina. I don't know, but uh, it is interesting that Lionel Messi's role has changed in a bit tactically, you know, within the team as well. Uh, You know, how would you describe every great player and every great sport 
Jordan, LeBron, they all do it. They all sort of change how they play as they get older. What have you seen from Lionel Messi? There's definitely be a cha- been a change, um, uh, especially with PSG and to probably a lesser extent, but even so in Argentina, you know, he's he's not playing in the penalty area that as much as possibly before. He's happy to come, kind of go back to this withdrawn pos- position, uh, you know, three quarters of the way down the field and just play the ball to... Um, to his teammates and it's working fantastically. Um, the leadership thing I think is interesting as well because um, there are a lot of question marks after the, the, that ill-fated 2018 World Cup uh, when Mascherano stepped down and the consensus around the Argentina team was that even though Messi had been the captain for a long time, uh, Machir- at least wearing the armband, it was really Mascherano who mm. remained the spiritual captain took this team together, you know, gave them uh, uh, tall strips of them when they weren't playing well, encouraged them when when they were playing playing good and that replacing him would would be difficult, especially with Messi, who didn't have that same right. kind of personality. Um, and it hasn't happened like that. Uh, no. Messi obviously isn't a guy who's going to come in shouting or, you know, give these rousing team talks. If he says, you know, more than four words, yeah, you can, you can <laughs> consider yourself lucky. But he's a classic um, example of a, guy, of a guy who just leads by example. Yeah, um, he is so dedicated to the to the national team. He would, ne- you know, if it was up to him, he'd never miss a game. Even, yeah. you know, a friendly played on you know midnight on a Tuesday night against the Cook Islands with nothing at stake. <laughs> he'd want to be there and he want to yeah. play the the ninety minutes because it's just what he loves doing. He loves playing for Argentina and. And he's so focused now. He's so desperate to, uh, to win this World Cup. You can see it. And, and it's that enthusiasm, that um, will, to, will to win, which I think is just rubbing off on, on all his teammates. So even though, you know, he's not your archetypal, uh, get your shout, shout at you and get your spirits up leader, he's a, lead, a leader in another way. And, and it's worked brilliantly for Argentina. And you, you just listen to his teammates after the game talk about Messi, and you can tell that that's exactly the role he has. You know, they, he doesn't have to say anything. He just shows up. He just plays. He's part of the group. Um, you know, the, the the hilarity between Papo Gomez and, and DePaul, like about the, the new nickname that, that, that Lionel Messi has, Comadre, or whatever that means. But it's just funny how they sort of – it's like they do see Messi as like the elder statesman, uh, you know, the guy in camp that, that has been there a long time. I also think that – the, the shirt, may, maybe this is subjective. Did it weigh on him in these other big tournaments? You know, I, I don't know because he carried the team in so many big moments, you know, but like it does really feel like when he puts on the jersey now, it really is like a superhero going to work. I mean, it, it almost like fuels him to a point where, uh, you know, he, he looks he looks like a different player than he is with PSG. Then, you know, he just like looks like over, almost like more sprightly, more active. Uh, obviously, he's happier now. Uh, so, so it is interesting. Do you think with all those pieces together, can Argentina do it? Like, can they do it in Qatar? It's going to be so difficult, uh, you know, to pull out the old cliches. A lot of great teams there. You got to win. You got to win the seven games, or at least mostly the last four games to get through. Uh, and anything can happen. But I think um, if they go into the um, the World Cup in the same vein as they've been playing for the last three years, you know, uh, 35 unbeaten games it is now after mm. this latest victory against um, Jamaica. Uh, there's no reason why why they they shouldn't be included in the, in the discussion. Um, I think the draw is favourable, especially if they can get that first place in the in the group. Uh, then they they avoid France and uh, and a repeat of that 2018 last 16. Uh, that'll be huge, you know, hit the ground running and and win those opening games, which you have to win. Um, I'm going to keep my enthusiasm in check and I'm not going to uh, predict anything more than that. I think this team <laughs> has the talent and it has what it takes to get to the semifinals. After the semifinals, ask someone else, anything can happen, but... sure. I think that has to be the the goal for Argentina, and it's one that that they can that they can achieve. I think. 
all right, you're going to keep your enthusiasm in check, but I'm not going to let you off the hook because when we get to the spot <laughs> kick, you're going to have to deliver. You can't waffle. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we get there, though, uh, you know, you, you've been in Buenos Aires now. You mentioned offline 13 years, right? 13 years now? 13 years from September, yes. Oh, my goodness. So w- what took you to Buenos Aires? And, and, and what have you learned about the footballing culture of Argentina since you've been there? So essentially, it was a bit of luck, a bit of serendipity, which brought me here. I finished uh, university back in in 2009. Um, and prior to that, I'd been talking, you know, trying to work out what I was going to do next. And by, you know, a chance meeting, I learned of an, of an internship opportunity, learning, working at an Argentine newspaper. Uh, I applied for it, May of overstated a little bit my <laughs> Spanish language skills at that time because they were very much um, very uh, much less than fluent uh, back then uh, but I got it I came out and it was supposed to be for who doesn't for lie months. on who doesn't lie on their resume though who doesn't oh lie absolutely yeah come on um, yeah <laughs> made for a for a rocky couple of first first couple of months but but I got there you know um, the internship was for six months uh, really enjoyed it, really enjoyed living in Argentina. So I thought, uh, let's see what happens. Let's stick it out for a while longer. I kind of pushed my my return ticket back from February to, to June and, and decided to, to try my luck, see if anything, anything else came of it. And about a month before I was due to come back, uh, I got the uh, job with Gold working as a, a South American correspondent. Um, so I came back to England for a while, still use that ticket and announced to my family, yeah, I'm only staying for a while because, um, <laughs> because I'm going to go back to Argentina. So, and yeah, from there, there's been a lot of ups and downs, um, you know, a couple of job changes, um, additions to the family. I became a father over here uh, three years ago, uh, when Noel came along, uh, very happy there, you know, it's just changed my life being a father. Uh, three World Cups, covering them, you know, on Argentina's behalf. And God, no, I can't even count how many uh, Copas America has been now. There's <laughs> been a lot, um, including 2011, where I'm, you know, I was there on the ground. They got to every game. Uh, it's just been fantastic. And of course, um, as you said, learning about a new football culture. And to be honest, but before I came out to Argentina, I. I've almost fallen out of love with football. Um, you know, I watched the occasional game in England and enjoyed it every now and then, but it wasn't something that that moved me particularly. But then I started, I started going to games in Argentina and <laughs> and uh, the atmosphere and the whole culture behind it is so entrancing. It just drags you in and and you really can't get out. And <laughs> I know you asked me about something. Um, I value about Argentine football culture, which of course is so flawed in many ways. You know the the presence of the barras, the ultras, and the violence, which um, which uh, erupts every now and then. You know the poor administration of clubs, um, and you know financial state they're in, which of course is a reflection of Argentina as a whole. Its economy isn't doing well, and and generally doesn't do that well. Um, you know it's it's got so many flaws so many downsides but I find kind of the respect that uh, the everyday fan has for its club's history and football's history is is so refreshing there's no um, no effort to rewrite the the football history books as if you know it only began 30 years ago or 20 years ago Um, you know the games in the 50s and the 60s were were just as important, you know, a club can say, yeah, you know, we we won our first championship in 1952. You know, we deserve to be among the big boys. And, <laughs> you know, you can sit sit around having a coffee in these in bars with these old guys who will just, you know, rule off name after name after name. Oh, you remember, I don't know, Pacho Fleidas from, <laughs> from the 1981 Metropolitano. Oh, what a player he was. And yeah. it just goes from there and... And, you know, as someone who graduated in history has always loved history, it's just, you know, you live it here. Um, yeah. It's so relevant and and everyone knows where they came from when, it took, when uh, 
when they're referring to football. Um, and of course, you know, the, the passion of fans, the colour. Um, and as we've been talking about earlier, getting being able to be the first one to say, you know, I saw Diego Almada, I saw Lautaro Martinez, I saw these brilliant kids who come up and, you know, often from very humble backgrounds and mm-hmm. and just make it big and then go on, you know, to shoot for the stars and and you're there for the very start of it. And that that really is priceless. Could you imagine? I mean, your son born was he born in Argentina? Mm-hmm. He was oh, born in Argentina, goodness. yeah. In the Dual neighborhood. National. Of Dual Dual national, national. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see an Edwards, an Argentine <laughs> left-footed striker with the last name Edwards. That would be amazing. He's right-footed, uh, actually. I was, I was oh, getting, I'm, yeah, I'm left-footed, but he's turned out right-footed. Um, it was a setback. What a disappointment. I know yeah. that. That happened with my son as well. As soon as, <laughs> yeah. as soon as I saw him kick with his right, I'm like, no. It's uh, tough. It's tough. It is tough. All right, Daniel Edwards, we're going to get to uh, the spot kick now. Uh, quickly, if you if you're on Twitter, follow Daniel Edwards at at Dan Edwards Goal. It's a great follow. I mean, if from everything from I I, lo- I love uh, you know comedy, <laughs> comedy and football is great. He's awesome with that. But also, if you're just interested or a fan of South American football, give Daniel Edwards a, fo- uh, a follow. Read his stuff; it's always good. Um, okay, are you familiar with the spot kick? No, this is new on me. I'm a little bit nervous. Oh, okay. 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 So the spot kick are five questions. It's just like a penalty shootout. You have five chances right. to score. You can't waffle. It's A and B answers pretty much. Okay. So that, that's how deliberate and determined you have to be. Just like you're stepping right. up to the spot, pick your corner and go. Um, so let's get started. Question number one for Daniel Edwards on the spot kick. When will Argentina's winning streak end? It will end in one of the group matches in Qatar. Oh my goodness! Big answer. Do you want to? Do you want to go out on the limb and, and name the foe who will take them down? It's gonna be someone silly like uh, Wes, uh, Mexico or Poland are gonna do it. But it's gonna be the boost they need to uh, to bring it back together and and keep going. That's interesting. Interesting. I've been reading lately. Their Argentines are like, maybe we should just lose now before we get to the World Cup. <laughs> They're very you know, superstitious like, like that. I know. I know. Uh, all right. Good one. Question number two. Who will be Argentina's next number 10? I'm going to say, to keep you happy, Tiago Ama. Oh, my goodness. You think he could inherit that shirt? It's going to be a tough one to inherit, but... He's definitely made the right noises to start with. Unbelievable. That would be massive, massive, massive. All right. A bit. Uh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't give this one away. Question number three for Daniel Edwards. Will Harry Maguire start versus Iran? Oh, <laughs> I think he will. Yeah. I think uh, Southgate will keep the faith and at least give him one chance at the World Cup. Is that is that a good strategy? I think it is. I think I don't if know if it's a good, you, that wasn't the question. It's true, true. I'm gonna I'll go I'll go out on a limb. I think if I'm the manager, I start him in that game rather than benching him for the game. If he performs well, he keeps going. If he doesn't have a good game, you have every right to to sit him in the next group stage match. You're almost yeah, like given absolutely. that. You're sort of given that that right. Okay. Uh, question number three. The best Argentina Clasico. Oh, this is question number four. I apologize. Spot kick number four for Daniel Edwards. The best Argentina Clasico bef- besides Boca River. Absolutely no question about this. Racing against Independiente. Has to be. Why? Um, because I'm a Racing fan and it's very entertaining. <laughs> uh, no, it's between that and the, the Santa Fe derby between uh, Rosario Central and Newell's. Yeah. Both are absolutely fantastic. And if you ever get the chance... To go to either of them, do it. I, I, I thought I thought you would go with the Santa Fe Derby. I, I think that's that's one that just me as a fan, um, I'm a little bit closer to. I'm, I don't know why my dad it was just really into that one growing up. Rosario uh, Derby, sorry, I'm a spy. Yeah, yeah, Rosario. But, uh, Rosario exactly. In Santa Fe Province. Yes, the Rosario Derby. Uh, I think we got a lot of that uh, when Tata Martino was here in Atlanta. I think a mm. lot of fans learned about it, learned about what Newell's was and what that rivalry is like with Rosario Central. Yeah. 
Uh, but I mean, yeah, the, the Racing Independiente is just is, is off the chain, off the chain. All right, final spot kick for Daniel Edwards, number five. Culturally, culturally, can Lionel Messi ever surpass Diego Maradona? No. Why not? Because Maradona is Maradona. <laughs> Diego is Diego. Um, <laughs> he is, you know, the symbol of Argentine football, the symbol, you know, almost of the Argentine working class, all of these guys who've pulled their way up from from the slums and from the avishas to make a success of himself. He challenged authority. He got in everyone's face. Um, he's just Maradona, um, a figure who is bigger than life. And I don't think Messi would, will, will make that even with a World Cup. And I don't think he wants to either. I don't think he, he would be interested in taking on that mantle. I think uh, staying, you know, as Argentina's favorite footballer and leaving Diego up there as uh, as a favorite deity the mm. favorite god would be would be a more than happy compromise for Messi very interesting i agree i agree i mean i i'm i'm a diego was was everything to me as a, as as a child um you're just talking offline with a producer it's always going to be subjective there's always going to be that question about who is the better player you know i think you know that that depends really on so many things but it just like you mentioned, the way you described the symbol of Argentine football, I think there's only one. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's always going to be Diego. Always. Um, Daniel Edwards, well done. Uh, you, you crushed it. You know, I think that's a yeah, five for five. Won the shit up. Oh, First yeah. Englishman to win a shootout. You see, in, you see, it history, can think, be done. Yeah. It can be done. An Englishman can be successful <laughs> in a penalty shootout. Uh, Daniel Edwards, uh, Argentina-based foreign correspondent. Thank you so much for coming on. This was great. I think a lot of fans are going to love this here in the States and across, back from where you're from as well. I think Argentina is just becoming that brand and that country that a lot of a lot of people around the world are really interested in ahead of Qatar. So thanks again. Cheers, Olive. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.